0: This is Hunt and Land, the podcast for land hunters and landowners with real-time rut reports, waterfowl migrations, and how-tos for habitat management and land investment.
1: There ain't much of a migration report to speak of this week. I was talking with Seth Maddox, who's the game bird coordinator for the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, and basically told me that we need to go deer hunting or yeah. spend some time at the company uh, Christmas party or something like that. It sounds like all the birds are still up above the freeze line, and uh, you know, a lot of rain means you got a lot more water. It's just not good uh, duck hunting conditions in Alabama right now. The few we have are very spread out. Yes, but you know, you, you got to do what you can do and wh- like I said I, December is just kind of one of those months I try to get ahead on uh get some brownie points built up for the holidays and try to think about January, which is when the peak of the rut's going to be coming in for most of Alabama, but um you know, I really enjoyed last week's podcast. We talked with John Ross Havard about choosing the right timberland track and i learned a lot with his three rules of land and so we're gonna have it back on the show this week and one of the things we touched on a little bit last week was you know we, we kept bringing up wet weather logging and how wet weather like what we're having right now creates an opportunity for guys that own timber in in areas that can be logged to sell their timber at higher prices because it reduces uh reduces inventory so Today, we're going to talk with, with John Ross again and, and talk about timber prices in the current timber market. So, so JR man, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, we really enjoyed last week. Tell us a little bit about uh, where we are right now in terms of a timber market. Are we, are we headed in the right direction, uh, or are we going down? What's going on?
2: All right. Well, uh, thanks again for having me back again. So, right now, we're headed in the right direction. Like you said, it's been... An abnormally wet year all around but this is going into the normally wet part of the year and the weather has not disappointed us what expectations are uh we've probably been getting a couple of inches of rain every couple of weeks and uh, for those people that do have a dry piece of sandy ground that drains well and and holds up to this kind of conditions that some got good access and accessibility like we talked about last week the prices are moving in the upward direction
1: well, I'm glad to hear the prices are moving in the right direction. Before we, you know, really get into what those prices are, tell me a little bit, explain to the folks listening, what, when we talk about timber, what are the different types uh, that somebody's going to sell?
2: We kind of touched on it a little bit last week. That There's, you know, even within different species, there's different types of products. And most people are more familiar with pine. So we can kind of start there. You know, pine can range anywhere from pulpwood would be the, the base product. Um, it's the, the first thing you could cut. It's the smallest thing you could cut outside of anything where there's a, a fuel wood market. Then you, from there, you would move up into a, a chip and saw category. There's kind of subcategories of that. The canner wood would be a, a small end chip and saw, whereas traditional saw, uh, chip and saw is, you know, a little bit bigger. And then you got to, you got to
1: dumb it down a little bit for me. So if right. we're talking about pulpwood, are we talking about paper? Yes. All right. Correct. What types of paper? Are we talking about the kind of paper that I print uh, stuff out on my, my printer on, or are we talking about cardboard, or are we talking about all of it?
0: What makes
2: what? Uh, so pine is more used for brown paper. That would be cardboard, packaging.
1: Amazon boxes. Any, you know, any kind of
2: paper that you're looking at that's that's brown is, is pine. And I like
1: those little baggies that I see Clint carrying out of the convenience store on- that's right. The stuff, that,
0: the stuff they used to sack your groceries in when you were <laughs> yeah. a little kid. Our beer cans. <laughs> uh, before plastic became so prevalent. Uh, <laughs> when you say canner wood, I keep hearing that's a really a hot commodity right now because it. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of tracks get clear cut that in my layman mind thought they were pulp wood, but everybody tells me they're selling them as canner wood.
2: Yeah, if you if you meet uh, certain size specifications, if you're you know if you you're probably going to be looking at a minimum size of 11 inches at the butt, and they can go. It depends on what mill you're hauling to, but usually a canterwood tree would go up to about a three-inch top, maybe three- to four-inch top. And, but they've got to be straight. They've got to be relatively low knots. And outside of that, if it's got the length and, and, the, and the diameter requirements, it, it will make canterwood if you're within a canterwood
1: mill uh, range. So you would lump that into that, that chip-and-saw class,
2: yeah, kind of. It kind of gets split. I think sometimes people lump it in with pulp wood, and sometimes people lump it in with chipping saw. It it, it kind of depends on the region that you're in. There's uh, like further south, for example, there are some mills, even pulp mills, that will buy a canner wood sized tree just to chip it up, but they'll pay more money for it because they know otherwise it would go to that canner product, and they can get better utilization out of a larger tree. Larger diameter trees have more volume in them, not just because it's a little bit bigger at you know at breast height. It has you know an an inch is not necessarily an inch. An inch is kind of an exponential difference.
0: So inch of diameter can equal a lot of length. Right. So the when you've got a forester that knows how to merchandise and market your timber properly, it can have a big return over and above what people would just consider normal prices. Yeah. Canterwood cases, it sounded like these landowners I'm dealing with had a forester that recognized that ability, and now instead of selling pulpwood with a little bit of chip-and-saw mixed in it, they're selling pulpwood, what was essentially pulpwood and big pulpwood at, at triple normal at prices.
1: chip-and-saw prices. Right. All right, so we've we've hit on pulpwood. We, we've hit on chip-and-saw. Now, now, tell me some of the different products that are available in that, in that chip-and-saw class. Well,
2: really, it's, it, it would just be the you know, canterwood like we talked about and You know, regionally, they call it wood, Sometimes they call it scragwood. Westerville calls it Wood. And then you have, well, you know, straight up chip and saw, which is just kind of like Saw Timber Jr. And, you know, from there, you move into a a straight up saw timber size. And then you go to grade logs, which are usually larger, older, tight grain trees. uh, And poles would be your higher end products for pines.
1: And poles are going to be... Your most valuable thing that you could possibly sell with pines—is that right?
2: Outside of a kind of a haywire situation with a with a sawmill going on, where somebody gets into a desperation mode and they just have to have the wood, I would say yes, you're correct on that.
1: So you mentioned that we're headed in the right direction, but I've seen a lot out there that that said you know timber prices have been depressed for a long time. You see a lot of things like this in the headlines and from various sources. So my question is, we're heading in the right direction, but but where are we right now? So say, take, for example, uh, Pulpwood. Where, where are we with, with Pulpwood uh, in Alabama right now?
2: Well, uh, going back to what you said, you know, timber prices being depressed over a long time, that's, that's entirely true, you know, the, the Great Recession we had set things back with increases in prices it kind of took things down to a base level and kept them there for a long time and now we're just sort of starting to gradually creep out of that pulpwood has actually probably decreased since that time in general and a lot of that has to do with decreased demand increasing in, uh, paperless technology increasing in recyclable recyclable materials just a, a decrease in demand for paper and, and paper products has really kind of affected that. But on a, an annual type basis, the price of pulpwood is up now versus the last six months. Uh, in South Alabama, you might be getting 9 to $12 a ton for just a straight up pulpwood tree. If you get into that, what some people call super pulp, which would be that canterwood size tree we talked about, you're probably looking at a lot more money for that. More in the fifteen to twenty dollar range.
1: Now, last week you talked about the importance of location with relation to sawmills, different mm-hmm. and not just sawmill, but mills in general. Now, right. So, when talk about pulpwood being, you know, at a certain value, you know, if you say it's twelve dollars a ton, mm-hmm. is there some variability in a region? Is there variability within a state like Alabama?
2: Uh, yes.
1: (laughs) So tell me a little Uh, bit about that. Tell me about that variability.
2: So that, that area where you're looking at, you know, you know, the $10 or so for a a regular pulpwood tree, that's going to be within a 60 mile range of three to four pulp consuming mills. So competition. That's right. If you got into say North Tuscaloosa County, Lamar County, Pickens County up there where there's not a mill within 50 miles and probably a 60 to 80 mile haul minimum for just about anything. You might not be getting three or four dollars a ton. You might be lucky to get somebody to buy it, Period. just because they have so much wood in their 60 mile range bought that they don't need it. So it is a 100 percent dependent on your location as far as whether you're in a good pulpwood market or a bad pulpwood market. But even in those bad pulpwood markets, at least quotas have eased a little bit. People are taking wood. So that, that kind of provides some opportunity to do something with air, in an area where you might struggle otherwise.
1: Now, you mentioned pine. How do things change if we look at, say, hardwood? Where are prices with hardwood? What, what direction are we headed there?
2: Uh, hardwood prices are also up. You know, hardwood, pulpwood is a pretty hot commodity right now. You're getting ten to twelve dollars a ton, say for pine. You might be getting twenty plus dollars a ton for your hardwood, uh, pulpwood. Uh, when you get into the higher, and better products, the location comes back into play with that. Also, uh, you know, way far north Alabama, you've got markets for products that they don't even know about in South Alabama. You know, you got people making bourbon barrels and veneer for. Um, you know furniture and things like that and you know some of that goes on some of the veneer stuff goes on further south but it's just not as it's not as big a market because it's a it's not as much hardwood to process down there you got river bottoms and a select few hill sites that may have good enough timber to do something with besides tile logs but you go further north and you've got a lot better grade of tree
1: so with hardwood pulpwood is that when we're going to get into white paper yes so that's things like, I saw Clint earlier today was coloring in a coloring book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that, that's that kind of stuff. I see now. Okay, well, I good. think coloring yeah. book's
2: probably, probably going to be more of a 50-50 kind of paper. It's, you know, uh, yeah, that's it's what probably I was got checking, a little Jeff. bit more. <laughs> I was trying to see how much pine and pine say, hardwood was in
1: it. Yeah, uh, say, you know, futures like say, look good for, for hardwood, uh, hardwood pulp, because I know Clint's got a coloring habit. He's got to keep up. So. Yeah. But
2: well, the kind of papers that you use for like magazines and, and you know, anything that's real shiny and nice looking, that's probably high content of hardwood.
1: Okay, great. All right. So talking about that variability, getting back to that variability, I had to poke fun at Clint a little bit, but when we look at the variability, how does a how does a landowner know what he's got in terms of not only knowing what type of merchandise he's got on his land, but how can he determine if it's a good market? where he is.
0: Does that make sense? Well, it's like, and, and who to ask, right? Yeah.
2: If you're not a practicing forester with uh, with your with your mind plugged into the game, then it's going to take a lot of work uh, and a lot of time and probably more effort than it's worth to, to really be on top of that, whereas you can hi- hire a consulting forester that's third party. They have a fiduciary responsibility to you as a landowner to give you the advice that you need to tell you that this is a good time to sell this product. This is what's going on in the market right now. This new mill is coming on. It's not online yet.
1: Well, you mentioned something earlier that that was interesting to me. I want you to go back and and hit on a little bit more. You were talking about board feet, and mm-hmm. in one sentence, you're saying that timber's worth a certain amount per ton, but in right. another sentence, you're saying that there's this many board feet in timber. So, how do those two things? How do they play together? Is is timber's being purchased by the ton, right? Yeah, pretty much everybody has converted over to purchases on the ton. Even the only
2: places that are really willing to do much buying on a, on a board foot basis are, are those probably mostly Tennessee hardwood mills, North Alabama hardwood mills. They, they probably still do a good bit of purchases based on the board feet, which is a, an actual measurement of the, the amount of board feet of lumber that could be cut out of a log. In pine mills and, you know, for most of the mills in the south – they have converted that over based on averages to a ton unit. They, you know, It's kind of a moving target. The larger the tree, the more efficient it is as far as uh, merchantability. You kind of think about, I'm a big guy, so let's talk about pizza. If you order a medium-sized pizza versus a large-sized pizza, the medium's only probably two or three inches diameter, smaller than the large, but it's got a lot less volume. It's the same thing with timber. So if you look at a smaller log, got more waste, there's more round parts that have to be cut off so they can get to a square piece that they can saw up. And it's got a higher percentage of bark and cambium to wood. It's got a less length. It's got more knots per foot, whereas a bigger tree is going to be less. I mean, it's still round, but more of the surface area is somewhat flat.
1: If I'm following your analogy correctly, it's kind of like, if we go back to the pizza example, mm-hmm. if you've got a medium pizza and you've got a large pizza. Okay, yep. y'all stay with me here. You got a medium pizza, you got a large pizza. The crust on the pizza may be two inches thick. Mm-hmm. And it's two inches thick whether it's on a medium pizza or on a large pizza. So right. if you cut that crust off, you've just lost a much higher percentage of the media medium pizza yep. than you have of the large pizza. So so what you're saying is that a larger tree, i.e. an older tree, might weigh a, a truckload of, of logs, even if it, they weigh the same, if it's an, a truckload full of young trees versus a truckload full of older trees, the truckload of older trees is going to have more board feet of timber in it, of lum- lumber in I'll, it. I'll
2: correct you just a little bit and say, yeah. size doesn't always mean age. There's a lot of different factors that could make a smaller tree actually older than a
1: larger tree diameter is what it sounds like what i should have said
2: yeah that's more accurate you know a larger diameter is going to have more volume than a
1: smaller tree so we're talking i mean that that's all well and good right we now we understand that that a a larger diameter tree has more board feet of timber in it than a than a smaller diameter Mm. uh tree of the same the same weight you know if weight is constant but how does that play into a guy that's wanting to is thinking about cutting trees right now what difference does that make because if a, if a guy is it because if he doesn't know what he has on his on his properties maybe he's selling it for uh less than what he could that's
2: possible you know if, if you have that larger average diameter so you know the, those per ton prices are, are really calculated based on a moving target average like we talked about the the smaller trees have more waste they weigh the same because you you know if you look at a truck that weighs 30 tons, you know, as far as the load goes, you can put 30 trees on or you can put 10 trees on. You know, which which trees do you think are more valuable, the 10 or the 30? Those prices are, are calculated based on an average ton per thir- uh, per 1,000 board feet. When you cruise a tractor timber, you're calculating the board feet, and then you use an average to calculate the number of tons per 1,000 board feet is. So
0: you're going from a, vo- you- a volume to a weight
2: correct because it's a lot easier to weigh a truck and say it's x number of tons than it is to get somebody to pay you know, pay somebody to go out there and calculate the board fee on every log that comes off the truck
1: right and i guess that gets back into sorting it too when when you when you're talking about merchandising timber is that all done when we're talking about that we're talking about that being done through a cruise or are you talking about that being done at the time of cutting or or both
2: well it's done in both i mean working with a consultant and he goes in to give you an estimate of the value of the timber he's going to merchandise the volumes based on what he sees the specifications are for the local area you know i'm going to I'm going to merchandise out the crews and say, you know, we have this many tons of pulpwood, this many tons of, of chippin' saw, this many ton, tons of uh, saw timber. That's not necessarily going to match up 100% with what the guy in the loader does when it gets cut down.
1: So, Clint, and, on the on the sales side of things, if we're in a, uh, let's just call it a rising timber market, and we could say we're in a good timber market, whatever you want to say, but if timber prices are are, are doing better, and they're increasing. If a guy's considering selling his land, is does he want to cut his timber and sell that timber uh, when when the market's up? Or do you want to leave those trees standing to sell it? I mean, how would that affect the value of the land itself, the dirt underneath those trees?
0: Well, if you clear-cut it, it removes all options of the buyer to cut it or manage it themselves, and now they're stuck with a clear-cut, which you can have the best logging crew that's ever existed, and it's still going to look like a clear cut when it's finished. It's mm-hmm. going to look pretty rough, and it takes some time to heal. And so, it typically devalues your land anywhere from I'd say two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars an acre, depending on what market you're in, just based on pure aesthetics. And you know, investment. and you're
1: talking about devaluing at two hundred and fifty to five hundred on
0: the dirt itself, just the dirt. Yeah. Well, the timber's no longer there. Right. Um, I find it more advantageous in markets like that to leave the timber there. Now, there are some exceptions. You know, prices get really crazy, like they ha- did in late. timber prices like they did in late 09, early 10, or pulpwood quadrupled and quintupled in some markets, it probably makes some sense to go ahead and liquidate that. But we don't see that hardly ever anymore. I'd probably almost say never. But if you've got a market where that's coming and you've got somebody like John Ross that's helped you understand what you've got and you know how to leverage that, then you've got an emergence of buyers that come out that are trying to take that wood to market, but they want to buy the dirt with it. And you're adequately and, well, really appropriately represented by someone that can help you negotiate with those people and not be, not taken advantage of, but you don't leave any money on the table. Because they know, like if you think about a wood dealer who already has uh, reduced operating costs in terms of logging a track, and they're trying to buy wood and dirt at these big prices to have less money in the dirt when they're finished and have a place to take their guys and keep them working because they've got limited logging ground available to them then you know you don't want to be the the dumbest guy in the room and sell your pulpwood at ten dollars a ton in a twenty dollar ton market Mm. and if you've got somebody like john ross involved that can't happen
2: right when you hear that don't think pulpwood is worth ten dollars no matter what that goes
1: back to what we were talking about earlier there's also a
0: six dollar ton market (laughs) in which case you can kick john ross but you'll still at least know what's there
1: yeah, but that's his that's his job, is to make sure you don't screw everything yeah, up. It, but, right. you know,
0: having a good consultant forester uh, help you and, and, you know, really tell you not only when to cut, but when not to cut, I'd say is probably as equal or more important uh, than anything out there.
1: Yeah. Well— John Ross, I want you to give me some predictions. If I'm going, I'm going to buy, you know, uh, timber futures on the market. You know, what do you what do you see? You see anything uh, macroeconomic that's happening right now that points towards? I'm not. I'm not asking you to give me a paper statement, but is there anything that's pointing towards this this market continuing to increase, or anything pointing towards it starting to decrease?
2: There are no guarantees in anything, but as far as generalities go. There have been a lot of mills investing in new construction and addition, adding capacity, adding dryers, adding, you know, adding capacity, adding, you know, putting on third shifts. So there is a lot of investment going on in the, the raw material consumption side of things, which is going to be good for demand in the next, really, in the next 12 to 18 months. Going to Some eat of those faster. mills that have been announced are already online so they're going to eat wood faster yeah that's right um it just for example there there's a mill in, in Vance that has they have two production lines in place they're adding a third and they've got a new set of dryers that are coming on online after the first of the year they're already looking for wood to fill that need
1: mm.
2: uh, and have been for probably a couple of months now
1: well um, John Ross, this has been more information than I was prepared for today. But I tell you what I've <laughs> learned is it, it really seems like there's so much variability in in markets, not even you know even within a state, but certainly if you look across a region like the Southeast, uh, and looking even further than that, that it will behoove someone to speak with uh, somebody who's got boots on the ground and in their region that they're in, and make sure that they understand what's going on locally, uh, because it seems like that that really does have the the biggest effect on on land i mean you talked about that last week with with location right sounds like that's a, a big part of timber prices
2: yeah it really is and you know it a phone call is free uh, a lot of times you know like people such as myself would would be more than happy to come out and meet you on a piece of property to talk about options and where things are going and and, and not necessarily charge you for their time hoping for the chance to you know to get to work with you and help you going forward that's kind of free advice or at least a free foot in the door to kind of evaluate, you know, do I like this person? Do I think they know what they're talking about and what they're doing? Uh, do I want to work with them? Do I think they can help me? And, you know, another thing I just kind of wanted to add to before, before we get off here, kind of think we're winding up, but a lot of the, the kind of underlying theme of all this is it really pays off to be prepared ahead of time um, because if you're looking to get in on peak timber market, when it peaks, you're going to miss
0: it. How long does a market let's say a wet weather market like we're seeing now? I know we're in an abnormally lengthy wet market, but in a normal year, how long would you say a wet market last?
2: I mean, it really is very variable. You know, if this if this wet weather we're in right now just stopped, I mean it's not gonna stop in a week, but if it's you know, next month it just quit raining and it didn't start raining again until the end of May, then things would change pretty dramatically. So so 6 to 8 it, weeks you
0: think from the from the reduction yeah when i mean when it
2: peaks it it can it, when it peaks it can fluctuate weekly yeah uh, or even daily you know when it bottoms out it can fluctuate daily too so you you need to have a plan in place you need to kind of have in mind what you think you want to do it would be helpful if you're thinking about cutting to go ahead and talk to somebody no matter what the timing is and make a plan you know let's see what we have to work with what kind of volumes there are, what we think the market's going to do and then have everything ready to go. And then when that peak market hits, you can pull the trigger and get somebody in there when the, when the price is at its peak. Cause have, if you wait a few weeks, it you might, you might miss it by a few dollars. You might miss it by
0: 20%. I've broken four crayons trying to take up, all these notes and tidbits. <laughs> I've now gotten to a yellow, so i got to stop because I can't read it anymore. <laughs> well, John
1: Ross, thanks for the information today, buddy. And uh, uh, we look forward to checking back in with you soon, uh, we'll keeping an eye on these on these timber prices and keeping an eye on the timber market. Uh, tell everybody again, you know, kind of your area and wh- where you work out of and, and if they want to get in touch with you, how they can do it.
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm located in Birmingham. Our office, our our local office, here's in Vestavia Hills, but I'll range pretty pretty far and wide. I'm working on anything from Dallas County to the Mississippi state line, and then you know that's going northwest. I mean, I've I've done stuff up in Lauderdale County. So
0: <laughs> he's all over.
2: Um, you know, if it's within two hours of home, I, I would at least consider looking at it. Um, that's that's just kind of what
1: I'm used to. And if folks have a specific question that, that they want to uh, email you, what's the best best way to contact you?
2: Yeah, you can get me on my, my email. is jrhavard, that's H-A-V-A-R-D, at nationalland.com.
1: All right. John Ross Haver with National Land Realty. Thanks again, John Ross. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like us to email you the show, just send us an email at pros at landhunting.com and we'll send you the new show each week. That's going to wrap it up for us also in 2018. uh, We're going to take next week off and enjoy the outdoors with our family. Enjoy Christmas. We hope you guys have a Merry Christmas as well. We will see you in 2019.